This is Coda Radio, episode 548 for December 11th, 2023. Friends, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us from a probably warm and delightful Florida area, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris, and I'm, I'm pretty uh, excited to say that I will now be starring uh, as a side quest in the new GTA 6. Did you hear about this? Oh man, I, I've I've seen like comparison shots from like scenes in the game that replicate like seeing crazy, ridiculous things that have happened in Florida. <laughs> so Florida is is unusual. Uh, well, <laughs> you know what that sentence could just stop there. But a, a interesting thing is Florida has actually taken transparency to a very radical step in terms of government policies, like the. Like good government part of it is like every budget, every sad, they're just open. Every salary, every budget, every contract. Wow, really? They're yeah. There's like every once in a while there'll be an exception, but those exceptions are usually time gated. But for the most part, it's all just in the open. Uh, all records of like work product produced by public services, such as in this case the police, are open. The problem with that is you, anybody who gets arrested but not necessarily convicted even in Florida, the a record of their arrest, including their mugshot and any pertinent, relevant uh, other stuff, is totally accessible via the internet. Ah, and to the press, hence all the Florida Man stories because they have all the source material to work with. <laughs> the defenders of Florida say Florida Man is not really a real thing. It's just because, you know, like in most states, you get arrested – there's a record of the arrest, but like they don't like it's not like Googleable so easily, right? Uh, including it pictures, especially if you're not convicted, right? right? It just takes like one reporter who like knows how this system works, and they can just sit back and fish. Oh, it's very, it's very easy, right? It's 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 very easy. Like it, it weirdly competent is the state of Florida and most of the counties in Florida with running large databases of people that might be in jail. <laughs> but that's like a whole other conversation. Uh, so with Rockstar Games, the folks who uh, develop and publish uh, Grand Theft Auto decided to do, and I, I, I question how legal this is, but we're going to find out because they're going to get sued, is go through these records and find, you know, of course they find the most crazy ass cases, right? Like the dude who dresses like the Joker and like has face tattoos to look like the Joker, like the Jared Leto Joker, who was known as Miami Joker and now is known as Florida Joker. I believe he's involved in narcotics in some way. There's also like the grandma who I think tried to kill someone. Like, did they just basically pick a bunch of the most bad cases you can find and made digital versions of them for the game? Uh, I, I guess I should have prefaced this. For those who don't know, GTA 6 is taking place in uh, f- effectively a more an exaggerated Florida, we could say. You know, the uh, Florida Joker man is uh, suing for $2 million. Oh, he's pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Although, honestly, if I'm Florida Joker, man, I, like, I don't know this guy from Adam. Thank God. This might, like, save his life. Oh, this is a great brand opportunity. Well, not just that. I mean, you're suing for $2 million. You're Rockstar Games, so, you know, on the other side. Do you really want this big lawsuit that if you lose is going to set a precedent and you're going to have to get rid of all this stuff? Or do you pay him off? Give yeah. him 100000 give, give, yeah. give him 200000 He's, he's going to be I set. Mean. He's going to be known now. Uh, yeah, this is great. What a what he an opportunity. Just avoid meth. 
Yeah. Right. That would, yeah. Looking at that face, I'm thinking that's probably out. I'm thinking. No, no. Uh, Rockstar Games and the uh, county of Miami, Miami Dade County, are happy to tell you that he has some problems. That is why he became famous. You know, um, the announcement of this game by many. So I, I, I monitor a ridiculous. I mean, I may not, I may not be. It may be undercounting when I say it's probably north of a thousand feeds. Um, and I pull them all into Feedly, and then Feedly has, and they've had it for years now, way, way before everybody else. Feedly has an AI component that helps me categorize and sort some of these feeds. And I can see like what is getting reported on the most in different slices of the tech niche, different tech niches. And by far, one of the biggest stories in the last week is the announcement of this Grand Theft Auto game. I, I get it. I mean, it's a good, it's fun. But like the one of the biggest stories, it's like it's in terms of like social media chatter and yeah. in terms of press coverage, it's it's like it's blowing everything else away. <laughs> I thought we would reached a real milestone with these large language models this week. And I thought this should be the big story. Nobody's talking about this. But OpenAI has confirmed that they have received multiple reports of GPT-4 getting lazier. They say they haven't updated the model since November 11th. It isn't intentional, but they say model behavior can be unpredictable and they're looking in to see into why GPT-4 has gotten lazier. <laughs> this is, I think, a fascinating milestone in the project that is large language models being unleashed onto the public. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, some folks were frying some bacon, uh, claiming that they think that OpenAI is basically having ChatGPT kind of tell you to RTFM as a way to cut down their server costs. Oh. I'm not sure I buy that they would intentionally do that. You know, this stuff is unpredictable. And I I can tell you, it's funny, I had a ChatGPT experience with with, uh, the dude at Alderaan, and... There is a big difference between like really focusing on how you write your prompt, yes, and just like putting in a here's a line of code, help me, massively, yeah, massively, massively. and mm-hmm. he yeah, he Matt's much, he's really got some good techniques for it, and I, I I do wonder if that's maybe not what this is that if you put in maybe too vague of a SOS help me or just answer my question, that it doesn't really know what to do, but if you really structure it in a way that it likes, yeah, you can, I mean you can get some really detailed kind of. Uh, Super useful answers out of it. Yeah, all these large language models are like this. It really comes down to the prompt and how you engineer that prompt. Even if you're just – or like the stable diffusion type stuff as well. Massive difference in just some of the minor wording of the prompts. And that is really the skill set you have to learn there. I, I still like that they're investigating it, that it's lazy. It just seems so funny to me. You know, maybe it's burned out. It's the holidays. You know, it's had a big year, dude. <laughs> it's, it's thinking of becoming a barista. It's done. <laughs> it, it wants to open up a barbecue shack and just do low-tech. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of low-tech, it doesn't get much more low-tech than one of the best robes in the world. And, uh, you know, inflation and shipping is still – it has voided it. It struck the Coda robe in all of the ways that are very frustrating. In fact, it's really at a point now where it costs us so much to ship it and it costs us to store it. Where It's just sort of awful. But I have a stash of 20 that I can take $10 off because the robe is not cheap. And a warning, the shipping isn't cheap either. We, and we're not making 
a profit on this. It sucks always to every possible direction in every possible universe. And on top of that, I'm paying to store these damn things in a warehouse, a monthly fee. But <laughs> it's really, it's a hell of a situation. Um, but you know what? Hell, if you want one, I'm going to make 20 available for $10 off when you use the promo code SWIFT. Only 20, limited amount, jupitergarage.com. We'll put a link in the show notes for the Coder Robe. It's not cheap. It is nice. It'll last you forever. I have my original and I have one from this batch, both great. And if you use the promo code SWIFT, it'll take $10 off, a limited 20 available uh, because of the cost. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, but there you go. The damn robe is back. Are you happy? I did this for you. I am happy. Because of your, your robe passion. You know what? I get DMs about the robe. I'm thrilled. Can you tell I'm thrilled? <laughs> I, I feel like you just want to get rid of these robes. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, it costs me just to keep them now. It costs me to sh- move them. It costs me to keep them. It co- it's ridiculous. It's it's cr- like uh, when the first round we did, I should have stopped there because it was before inflation and shipping and all of that got crazy. Um, and it's it's disproportionately gotten more crazier for smaller business than mm. this for somebody like Amazon or a Walmart. It's just blah. It's it, talk about a crazy little thing to have some insight into. That's not really my my normal area. Well, folks. While you're enjoying your coat or robe and writing your Objective C, you'll need a beverage. That's but you don't want to spill anything on your expensive MacBook Pro. <laughs> so get a coat or tumbler. <laughs> it's been Dominic tested. <laughs> JupiterGarage.com. Craig and others came in with some browser solutions for me because, you know, I got this browser drama going on where they crash mm. all the time. He says you mentioned Edge was trying to open before your keychain had unlocked. Could you set your default browser maybe to a shell script? They would then wait for the keychain to be unlocked before then launching Edge. I suspect requiring a password to log in a boot would unlock it. Yes. Yeah, it is because I auto-log in. Absolutely. I do that because my workstation is part of an overall studio automation script. Here's what I did. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes. I, I just did a really basic workaround. My, what I needed to solve for was that the browser was getting launched before my desktop keychain was unlocked. And for some Chromium-based browsers, if you do it in that order... They lose their mind, and it's like you've never run them before. So what I did is I set my default browser to an app called Junction. Junction is inspired by an app on macOS, which I'm forgetting the name of. But Junction is a very small little dialogue that comes up whenever you click a URL on your box. And it's just a little quick. It almost looks like an alt-tab dialogue. It's just, you know, like a a modal screen that comes up. And it asks you, which browser would you like to open this link in? And it sits there and waits for you to click which browser you want to open. And that was my workaround. So what happens now is Junction comes up asking me which browser I want to launch. It never launches the browser until I click it, and then I can unlock the keychain. It's a silly, very Linuxy workaround, but it is working. I got some recommendations for Vivaldi as well. Have you, you ever tried Vivaldi, Mike? Uh, a while back, yeah. You know, I, I, I've mostly stuck with Safari. I did use Edge for a while; it was fine. But I'm, I'm basically in Safari and Chrome. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I might give it a go if I continue to have problems. It. I have same. I tried it a while ago. It was a lot of browser, and I kind of just wanted to go back to Chrome after I used it for a bit. But they seem like they really focused on performance, and I do like me some performance. So, Vivaldi came in with some strong recommendations. <laughs> Alderaan.games slash 
Coder. Alderaan Games is looking to hire some talented remote workers. And I think that might just be you if you listen to this show. And finding new people is hard. That was something I was talking with Matt, the founder of Alderaan Games. He's been listening to Coder Radio forever, so he knows our struggles. And I think when it came time to grow, he thought of some of the things we've shared on the show. And I think one of his insights, and it's a good one, is if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a little intellectually curious and technically inclined. You might be just the right type of employee, and they're hiring remote workers. They've got several positions open, a back-end PHP position, Node.js, a senior Unreal game developer position, uh, a standard Unreal developer position. There's several game designer positions and QA tester and security engineer and probably even a spot in there for a Linux admin. So go over to alderon.game slash coder. That'll kind of get your foot in the door for a company that is a self-publishing game studio. That's pretty rare and that's pretty unique. And I think uh, if you listen to this show, you'd probably like that vibe. And they're looking for somebody that might just be you. So check them out. Go brush up your resume. Maybe get your GitHub looking good. I don't know. Go go do something on one of the Jupiter Broadcasting projects. You know, get a little bit of an establishment there. It doesn't take a lot. just needs to show some initiative. And head over to alderon.game slash coder. See if there's something that fits. If there isn't a specific job posting there, but you've got a great skill set, you're a quick learner, you've got maybe some Linux background or some other development or QA background, reach out. Tell them Chris told you to reach out. Say, Matt, Chris told me, even though you didn't have a specific listing, it'd be okay if I reach out. I'll take that. I'll own that. And I, I think it's something you should consider doing. Could be a great spot. Could be a great opportunity. They're looking to hire, and it could be you. Alderon.games slash coder. That's Alderon.games slash coder. Well, we were going to sit here and talk about Gemini. One more AI story, I guess, for the for the end of the year. I think this is hopefully it. And uh, instead, what we're going to talk about and what everybody is talking about is that Google essentially faked one of their demos. We all probably saw this. It was a big deal. It was a demo featuring a spoken conversation with Gemini. And Gemini identified drawings in real time, like that's a duck, that's a fish. In actuality, it was all edited together. There was no actual spoken prompt. It did not go that smoothly. It didn't recognize images that quickly. Even some of the things that were demonstrated seemed like they were somewhat modified, uh, like the connect the dot example. So Google faked a demo and botched their second AI big release. And just like with their Bard demo that failed, once this news came out, Google's stock tumbled again. The second time in a row where they have fumbled this. The company that potentially has the most legitimate AI tech with the most high signal data sources and data sets in the world fumbled the ball again. Meanwhile, Little OpenAI, run by a psychopath and a maniac corporation desperate for relevancy, continue to lap them. Explain that to me. It's weird, right? I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure I understand why they faked this demo. They didn't really need to, I, I, I understand they feel pressure, but it's totally self-inflicted pressure. Like, you're Google, you're fine. I kind of want to chalk it up to how lazy tech reporting's become, which I know is kind of a wild side take, but... You know, there was a day where, like, the tech reporters really did get into the weeds about how stuff worked. Now it's 
You're right. You know, who can, who can put on the spectacle for them to get the digital ink written. Right. And then they're just, they're writing and riffing off of the video they've watched instead of interrogating the product. Right. We're talking to like some of the engineers. Man, that's a great point. You're right. I had, you know, the, here's the, okay. And one other kind of side tangent thing before we get getting further. They're, they're also fumbling the branding already. Like, so like Gemini is separate from Bard, but Gemini is going to be inside of Bard, but not fully inside of Bard yet. And you're going to have Bard and Gemini. They're already screwing this aspect of it too. They're not even a year into it. And they've already muddled with multiple different brands and two botched launches. (laughs) It's head shaking. There's something very broken and very sick inside Google. Well, I I think they've become the Microsoft of the early aughts, right? They're... They, they're very enterprise and, you know, their divisions in many ways are competing for the same resource. Man, it seems like, though, they have a golden opportunity in their hands because there is probably real utility to integrate this kind of stuff into Gmail, into Google Docs, into Sheets. I mean, real utility. Imagine, and, and I know this sounds kind of silly, but I would use this. Imagine if you could say to your Google Sheets program, um, I know I need you to create me a formula and a and a and a bar graph that that takes this data and puts it together. And you don't know how to create that formula in Sheets, but you know the Gemini Bard thing does, and it just has a little prompt there, and you ask it. It uses the data in your sheet right there in real time, and it it, it creates that. Uh, I think there is a massive opportunity to to really create a moat around the Google products if you can put stuff in Google Drive. You can put stuff in Sheets and Docs, and you can have stuff in email and all their other, you know, and your meetings can be monitored by Google A and and transcribed. You could create a real moat because what I've been playing with this last week has been locally hosted large language models. Mm. And some of them let me point them at arbitrary data and URLs, and some of them don't for legal and moral reasons, they say. And man, I tell you what, the ones that let me point them at my own data source are infinitely more useful because I can start to interview them about the topic and i make them a, i'll give you an example i i uh i pointed the uh meta's uh, llama 2 uncensored model at pharaonic llama llama red pajama yep. sorry go ahead. yep at com, and i told it to, to go back and crawl all of 2023 and then i could just sit there and ask it for a half hour various questions about pharaonic's 2023 coverage and the companies they talk about and the projects they talk about and when this came out and when this was covered like all of a sudden, that large language model is a complete topic expert on pharaonics.com. That When I'm trying to put together uh, the biggest stories of 2023 for Linux Unplugged, that's massively useful. And Google could do that at a Google account scale. And now, you, you know, you maybe you're a Google Enterprise customer using Google Apps. You're, all your enterprise docs are in there. Your sheets are in there. Your email are in there. Your meetings are in there. Google's Gemini Bard thing could become a topic expert on your Google workspace massively, massively useful. And they could be training on the back end with all of their resources. And then when you go into Gmail, no doubt they'll slap it right into everything, docs, everything. There'll be a little chat prompt. And I could say like, hey, when did Mike and I first talk about, you know, uh, doing Coda Radio or something? And it could come up and just, you know, find the thread in a, in a search that is actually useful. And they'll go at it from a search perspective and expand it from there. If they can get this thing off the ground, it feels like they have got a massive opportunity to build an even bigger moat around workspace, but they just keep fumbling it. But you see, do you see where this could be? And Microsoft has a similar opportunity here, but Google has a massive head start. 
Yeah, the opportunities are huge, right? And whoever gets this integrated well with their existing suite is uh, is going to take a leadership position. It's just, I don't know, I, I'm sure I might regret this, but I would bet on Microsoft slash OpenAI before Google because it, it just seems like they're, I guess, a little hungrier maybe. Way hungrier. You saw how Sache nego- navigated and negotiated that crazy OpenAI weekend. I mean, just seeing the execution there versus watching how Google has pathetically executed over the, over a year, it is it is a it is a stark contrast that Google has turned into Microsoft and Microsoft has turned into something else. At least at the executive level, um, yeah. All right, I just wanted to touch on that. Um, I think it does look. I I. I I, I like Bard for a lot more things than I like ChatGPT these days. So I'm a little more bullish on the Google AI stuff than you are. But I think as far as executing in the marketplace, I agree. But then there's Apple. And over this last week, there's been a lot of speculation online, I think kind of kicked off by Robert Scoble, uh, that Apple is probably going to end up being the winner of the consumer large language model products. Because Apple will eventually release a model that runs local and natively on your iPhone and other M-series chips. Um, it'll look at your existing – they already do this um, you know, in a, in a really great way, actually. If you use HomeKit video for your security cameras, and there's only a few like the Logitech Circle that you can put into HomeKit video, it uses your on-device face recognition information – to identify people that it detects in the camera. So when my wife walks up to the studio, it says, Hadia has arrived at the studio. That's really neat stuff. And so the speculation online has been that they'll spread this out across people's M devices. And we're seeing a hint with this in iOS 17. It says, quote, this is from Apple, uh, some of their documentation for iOS 17, quote, Using on-device machine learning, your iPhone creates personalized suggestions for moments for you to remember and write about based on your photos, music, workouts, and more. This is the new journal app. And their point is, and I, having played with a lot of these self-hosted large language model, think there is a lot of wood behind the light language model arrows that are a little more refined. You could run them on a, at a small device like a Raspberry Pi or even a phone, especially a fast phone. And they're purpose-built, so they're lean and mean. And I think this is the future. Well, I mean, I think this is what 2024 is going to be big on. And I really mm. do think Apple could have something here. Maybe. The, the, the Apple has the whole strategy tax issue, though, right, where they don't want to – I don't think Apple wants to – well, it depends, right? If it's like an open source thing that you can modify, then, yeah, I think they're a huge right? dinner. Well, and think about this. Like, Apple could integrate this like NextCloud has. NextCloud has been way ahead of everybody on this. You, What NextCloud has, a universal prompt you can bring up now. And you can say, in the middle of a, of a NextCloud talk chat, you can say, generate me an image that's this, this, that, and this. And it's using stable diffusion. And it just generates, it's kind of like what we do for GIF selection or GIF selection right now, where you go in there and you do a little search and you select the right little animation that represents, you know, what you want to send back. That's going to be replaced by quick, stable image diffusion type stuff using accelerators on M-series platforms. So instead of a instead of some animated... Uh, you know, guy nodding his head you've seen a million times, like Jack Black, you create something entirely new using on-device AI and then send that in messages. And it's just like one of the little apps in messages is like a stable diffusion generator. I mean, they'll call it something else like Magic Image Creator or something, right? 
but it'll be on any M series platform. And it'll be the same thing for text. So you, maybe you're in pages and you need to start mm-hmm. a letter. Just like Nextcloud, when you're in the Nextcloud document editor, you need to start a letter. You say, all right, I'm, I'm trying to trying to write a letter of resignation. I need you to help me get started. And it creates a blank letter of resignation. And then you f- fill it out and boom, you're done. Because all of this stuff's open source. Apple just needs to integrate it and accelerate it. And it, they can just invoke this stuff in their existing applications. It's such low-hanging fruit that if they don't do this, it's negligence. Yeah, it seems a little crazy not to take the swing. Yeah, right? And then they could they could claim they're the first bringing these AI features on device to consumers. Man, if I were them, this would this is what the iPhone 16 and iOS 18 would be all about. Yeah, they can bang their security drum because it's on device. Yep. Okay. <laughs> we'll see, right? <laughs> Somebody send this to Apple because if they don't do this, they're missing out because NextCloud's kicking their butt right now. NextCloud's doing this, right? I mean, it's totally possible. So it, it just needs to be done at a scale that can work with and, and optimize for Apple's devices too. And not to make getting these things down to a device that size trivial, but the Home Assistant community has done this. They have They have created language models now that are running on Raspberry Pis. They're not super fast, but it's happening on general compute devices. So I, I can only imagine on an Apple SoC. We'll see. Tailscale.com slash coder. Head on over there and get a free personal account for up to 100 devices, three sub accounts, and you really can try Tailscale. It is a simple, straightforward, secure mesh VPN built on top of Wirecard. Tailscale lets you easily manage private resources, enables you to quickly SSH into your devices using your Tailscale credentials, and allows you to work securely from anywhere in the world, even if you got that double carrier NAT. I can tell you I've switched from AT&T, Verizon, and Starlink in just a span of a few minutes, and Tailscale doesn't miss a beat. And one of the things I love is it is protected by WireGuard, and all of my devices can talk directly to each other inside this mesh network. And once I add a device, it's got a, it's got a static IP in this Tailnet. They just recently added some functionality, too, where you can re-IP things. And you can throw services in there like Jellyfin and DNS and your chat and NextCloud, and pretty soon everything is in this tailnet. And if you're a developer, this is so great when you need ad hoc networking, you want to put some services that are available regardless of where you are. Maybe they're across cloud providers. In my case, I will have systems that are on Linode. They're a VM on a workstation I have at the studio. They're in my RV. They're in my pocket. And they're all on one flat network. And you can quickly get started in just minutes. And for you enterprises out there, if you're an enterprise and you're trying to advocate for a better VPN technology, send them to tailscale.com slash coder. It just massively simplifies the implementation for enterprises while still snapping in with your tooling, your authentication infrastructure, your two factors. If you got some, I hope you do. It'll work with all of that. It's such a powerful tool while being really simple for the end user. It's finally that solution on top of WireGuard I always wanted. I love it. It's changed my networking game. Literally, I have no inbound firewall ports anymore. It's really great. It's really fast. And you can try it for free for up to 100 devices while you support the show. Tailscale.com slash coder. Well, the green bubble drama has gone to 11. This story is changing as we record right now on a Monday. Just... Uh, our last few days have been crazy. So this company 
created Beeper Mini. Beeper is this like all-in-one messenger application that I know my buddy Noah loves. And the idea is you can connect it to Telegram and Discord and Matrix and WhatsApp and Signal and all these different, and then you go to one app, Slack and et cetera, one app. Boom, there's all your chats. Well, then Beeper split off this one dedicated app called Beeper Mini that was solely focused on running and compatibility with iMessage on Android. Beeper Mini was a dedicated app. I think it was paid. I never tried it. You'd run on Android, and you could participate in iMessage chats using your phone number, actually. That was on December 5th. It was announced and made available to all users. Quickly racked up 100,000 downloads. Became popular quick. And Beeper Mini didn't use a cloud server to let you use Apple services, which is how this has been done in the past, is some people would have a Mini that would get racked probably running Mac OS mm. and VMs and run multiple customer accounts. And you would sign into your iCloud account on that mini. And then it would capture the iMessages from the iMessage application on Mac OS and forward them to your application on Android. <laughs> so they got rid of that method and somehow began talking directly to the iMessage servers. And that's when they launched Beeper Mini. Well, as you can imagine, Apple confirmed on Saturday night that it closed down the quote unquote loophole that Beeper was using. And everybody thought Beeper was dead, Beeper Mini. This morning, as I went on air, Beeper has announced that they have revved their app again and got it working again. This time, you can't use your phone number. You have to use your full Apple ID, and you have to log in with your iCloud account. And it's not yet published in the Play Store, so you have to sideload it, although they're going to try to get it loaded in the Play Store. Um, But it definitely takes away one of the big selling points that you didn't have to give it your Apple ID. But it gives you full interoperability with iMessage. And your good buddy, Elizabeth Warren, who is one of the biggest scam senators that I've ever seen in the United States Senate, and that is really quite a statement, and also one of the most ineffective legislators ever, (laughs) is uh, going after Apple, claiming that they're using their big tech monopoly to lock in profits by preventing Android users from using iMessage, and that this crackdown on Beeper is the latest example of their aggressive monopoly practices. It's quite the drama. And of course Apple's going to crack down on all of this. Yeah. I'm guessing this is probably not the type of app you'd ever use either. No, and and I'm kind of surprised uh, with Elizabeth Warren here because, I mean, it's a closed system. I don't... I don't really think that Apple has necessarily done anything wrong here, right? They never said iMessage was an open standard that anybody could use. Yeah. It's it's a selling feature for the app. What is funny, uh, Beeper has done this, and uh, Liz Warren is has picked up on the talking point as well. They're taking Apple's iMessage talking points and using it against them in a really clever little flip. See, iMessage, like Apple tells us, is so secure. It's superior to standard text messaging. And that's one of the things that makes the iPhone a more secure, more private platform. And so they just want to bring that same security and privacy to other users that are chatting with iPhone users, but on non-iPhone platforms. You see, by taking Beeper away from Android users, they're making Android chat less secure. Because as Apple says, iMessage is a superior, more secure chat platform. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, that's that's a meaningless argument, right? It's it's Apple's proprietary system that's a feature of their phones to sell their phones. This 
they're going to get sued. It's going to be like a uh, Star was the company down here that was making Hackintoshes. Oh my god, I can't believe you remember. I do. I was trying to remember their name so hard the other day. I bought their little USB dongle back in the day to turn my Dell into a Hackintosh. Right. They were pretty cool, and they're going to get sued into oblivion, just like they did, just like Star did. Like this is the story that was everywhere that I was kind of surprised because we we've we've all been to this play before. We bought the album, we sing the songs. You know, we, we get drunk at the bar and we're, you know, going to the barricades against Imperial Apple. When in reality, in this case, Apple's just right. They're going to drink these guys' milkshake. I agree. And I think this pain is necessary. This this green bubble drama, the green bubble embarrassment is the pain people need to switch to non-platform chat apps. What the hell else is going to get them to try something like Signal or Telegram or Simplex or WhatsApp? Or or, yeah. yeah, it's pain. It's when the default stuff doesn't work. And we, I think, would be doing everybody a bit of service if we told them, don't use the built-in messenger on your phone. Just switch to something else. Having said that, I love iMessage. It's really good. Yeah, well, there's that. I, I could give an analogy because I know some folks are going to push back here. Let's say you made a game, Right. And you released it on iOS, but not Android, for whatever reason. And then somebody comes along and basically ports, gets, you know, somehow ports your game or a decent facsimile of it. Wouldn't you be upset now? It's not that, oh, they're expanding the player base to include Android. They're basically trying to take business away from you. Uh, they're probably committing some sort of fraud. I mean, de- depending on how the... For many, yeah, how they did that uh, reverse engineering, yeah, yeah, you know that computer brought on fraud and abuse act is really vague. Just a, a side tangent, Liz Warren here. She uh, sponsored thirty six bills in the hundred uh, eighteenth Congress, zero were passed. She sponsored one hundred and three bills in the hundred seventeenth Congress, which is twenty one twenty two, zero were passed. Ninety eight bills, twenty nineteen to twenty, zero passed. Eighty bills, twenty seventeen to eighteen, zero passed. Twenty seven bills. 2015 to 16, zero passed. In fact, I believe her record for passing bills is in the single digits. She has co-sponsored in the thousands, I believe almost 2,000, and the bills that have actually passed, very, very few. (laughs) She's uh, an interesting character because she wears the mask of a progressive, but she's actually very much a bankster wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, And so, of course, she's taking all these opportunities to go after any tech monopoly that she can because that plays into her progressive brand. And she plays like she doesn't understand these things, but she has a team of advisors telling her what's going on. Anyways, uh, my advice, and I think Mike's is, is probably hold off on this beeper stuff for a bit. Let's see how this plays out. It's probably going to end up in more pain. Yeah, they're going to get shut down. I mean, that's it's just, yeah. And then one last little, I don't know if there's much for us to add here, but just a, a, I guess, kind of a PSA. Apple and Google confirmed in the last week that the U.S. federal government, after being revealed by Oregon Senator Wyden, the U.S. government is monitoring push notifications on both iOS and Google uh, Android. I guess the justification is, is according to the federal government, these companies, Apple and Google, are operating as a, quote, digital post office for relaying these notifications. As a result, they have access to Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Apple said in a statement that, quote, the federal government had prohibited us from sharing this information, i.e. we couldn't tell you they were doing this. But now that this has become public, we are updating our transparency report to detail these kinds of requests. 
What I love about this is these transparency reports are not transparent at all. In fact, they're on their face. Right. There's lots of activity they can't put on there until you already know about it. And once you already know it's happening, they'll put it on the transparency report. Beautiful. What a beautiful prism we all get to see the light through. Yes, that's a deep cut for, yeah. So if you're using, you know, your super secure chat app with your uh, end-to-end encryption, but you're still getting things in push notification, guess what? (laughs) You've accomplished nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you to our members, CoderQA.co. You are the superheroes of our show. We really appreciate you. Things are super busy right now, but we're thinking about you all the time. You get an ad-free version of the show as a thank you. If you'd like to become a member, CoderQA.co. And also thank you to our boosters who support each individual production. You can boost us by getting a new podcast app at podcastapps.com. Has it built right in. Or you top off something like Albi, getalbi.com. You can uh, get sats in there, use something like Strike, and then boost in. And I uh, encourage you to do so because the holidays are coming up. We'll be uh, stacking some boosts as we uh, – next episode is going to be a pre-record, so there will be none in there. Mm-hmm. So you can boost them in and we'll stack them for the following episode. But for this week – we do have a little handful of boosts, and our first one comes from Active Shadow, who sends in 20,000 sats and uh, wants to touch on the dot .file management topic. Please do. I uh, very much would like to get into this. He says, I have found that ThoughtBot's RCM library is very easy and reliable when used with Git. ThoughtBot's RCM. All right, I'm going to look that up. So am I, because I'm not familiar. Yeah. But I'll look that up, and I'm going to put that in the show notes. This is a management suite for dot .files. It assumes that you have a separate dot .file directory or are interested in creating one. Well, I do, and I am. <laughs> hmm. Well, that's pretty great, actually. Pretty nifty, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Active Shadow. Putting a link to that in the uh, show notes if anybody else. Boom. Wants to take a look at that. Scott comes in with 4,444 sats. No message, just a boost. We appreciate that, Thank Scott. Thank you, Scott. Ryan comes in with 4,506 sats. I bet I bet those mean something. Uh, he says, following on the previous boost, I work for a transmission power company that has an OT system running RHEL with a Windows environment with a bit of everything. It's got a SAN. There's an ESX machine in there, uh, database, replication, development, all running on Ansible. He says, by the way, this is a postcode boost from Australia as well. Ah, aha, I knew it. I knew that. I knew that had to have something. I wonder if Google Maps will uh, help me here. I'm going to bet not, but uh, we'll see. Google Maps always thinks I'm talking about my general area. It says Moral Field. Is that right? M-O-R-A-Y Field? Moral Field, Australia. Wow, maybe it actually got it. I have no idea. I have no idea. If I zoom out, it looks like it's just north of Brisbane. Brisbane, as they say down there. Let me know if we got it right. Thank you for boosting in. Listening all the way down there. Etam comes in with 4,000 sats. First time booster. Heck yeah, dude. Congratulations. Appreciate that. Your show has been my favorite for years. Hopefully you'll hear more from me in the future. P.S. Can we get a keep the change, of filthy animal? It is the season. Keep the change, you filthy animal. There you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> Overvalued comes in with 10,000 sats using uh, Fountain, it looks like. I love the show, guys. First time booster. All right. Another one. I wanted to say happy holidays and ask if either of you still play the SNES, the Super Nintendo. My favorite games were uh, Zelda, A Link to the Past, 
the first two Donkey Kong games, Super Mario World, and of course, Super Mario Kart. I still think they're some of the best games today. Mike, do you still play the SNES at all? Uh, in an indirect way. I have the Nintendo Online sub where you could play their official emulator on the Switch. Which is actually pretty good. It is actually pretty good. Yeah. I don't have a physical hardware. I was a Sega kid. So I just want to say Sega does, but Nintendo don't. Oh, dude. Ooh, throwing down the gauntlet. Cuts. Uh, cuts. But yeah, no, I, I definitely do. Uh, usually when, I think, what do they update it? Like every month? The uh, yeah. Nintendo Online stuff. <laughs> That's crazy. I check in and see and see what they have ad- added. It's it's kind of fun because I get to play things that I've missed or at least try them out. And one like side benefit is most of the games on there are super or more or less kid appropriate. So true. Yeah. Good for the little dude. Yeah. Even then, the graphics are so poor. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I have to say the Nintendo Online thing is really sweet. I also have that. Uh, I echo everything you just said there. I'm a bit of a maniac. Um, I also, of course, have the SNES and like those types of emulators on my phones. Mm. And then, of course, I have it on my Steam Deck, which I love the hell out of. And on my Steam Deck, I went on Amazon and I got one of them USB Super Nintendo knockoff controllers. It looks just like the SNES controller. But it just connects as a standard head device. That's nice. Yeah. I have uh, I have one of those by the company 8-Bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I have that connected to my deck, and I put my deck on the TV, and I play that. The other thing I didn't – oh, shoot. I should, I've, oh, man, I wish I would have gotten the name. Maybe somebody, somebody will boost in the name of this thing. And then the ultimate, ultimate experience is a few years ago, I went on eBay, and I spent the big bucks, and I got myself a used Sony Triniton Nice. CRT. See, that's what you really need. If you're not going to use an emulator that compensates for it, you yeah. need that, that cathode ray. And then I got myself the Super Nintendo, of course. And then I got, and I, this is the part I need the help with the name on. I got this cartridge that you put an SD card in and you load the ROMs on that cartridge, on that SD card. Oh, interesting. And then you play it on the Super Nintendo. So it's like an SD card goes inside a Super Nintendo cartridge. You put the cartridge in the Super Nintendo. It boots up into this really janky, worse than DOS-like Worse than N curses UI, but you get all your games that you can fit on an SD card, and then you play it on the physical hardware. I mean, it's so cool. So I have like a hundred games on this SD card that's just always in the Super Nintendo. So I'm never switching cartridges. It's always connected to the TV, so I can just sit down and play. How's the fidelity of those games? Oh, 100 percent. It's 100 percent. Really? Oh wow. yeah, 100. It's as good as. And then the and the other nice thing is, dude, is there's modded Mario ROMs out there. There's a whole community that has taken Super Mario World and Metroid and, like, redone them. Some of them are really crashy, but some of them are really great. So, yeah. Oh, man. I really like that setup. If anybody remembers that little cartridge I'm talking about, I would love to put a link to that in uh, the show notes. Sneezy comes in with 17,735 sets. All right. Uh, He says, I've got some bacon for you guys. I think those recent Spotify layoffs were about AI. Just a few weeks after flexing their AI muscles with the new personalized magic of the Spotify-wrapped AI, the music giant took the axe to its workforce and laid off 17% of their employees. So, is AI the Christmas elf bringing new efficiencies, or is it a cyborg sent to terminate jobs? You know, I, I, I could see the logic here. Um, my My kind of hesitance to jump on this bacon bandwagon is just the 
ridiculous amounts of money Spotify spent on podcasts would blow a hole in just about any, you know, company of their size. Yeah, they really were. And they went crazy with the hiring, too. So they, they spent a ton of money yeah. on their work on their workforce in general and spent a ton of money on acquiring podcast talent. So, yeah, hmm. The cyborgs have to terminate jobs. I don't know if it's either one of those. <laughs> well, no, I, I will say that it's almost certain that if they're not doing this already, what they're going to do is like all the audiobook and like descriptions of things and, you know. Yeah, and all the playlist generation. All, all the playlist generation. It's yep. going to be AI. Mm-hmm. And these jobs that have been lost are not coming back. Yeah. That's for sure. Right. So. Nice bacon, though, Sneezy. Thanks for bringing that. Appreciate yeah, it's it. good stuff. Dave Jones sends in 10,000 sats. He is the pod sage, and it's his weekly automated Quote, subscription donation. Thank you, Dave Jones. That brings us to seven total boosters this week, and we stack 70,685 sats. Thank you, everybody who supported this production. We will be stacking your boosts, so there'll be no boosts next episode, but still send them in. You can send your holiday wishes because our next recording session, when we are recording the boosts, will be uh, our holiday episodes. So holiday wishes, 2024 predictions, all that kind of stuff would be great topics for your boost. A nice way to send the show off into the holidays. And um, again, we'll have links to how to do that in the show notes. That's going to be at coder.show slash 548. Anywhere you want to send the people, Mr. Dominic. Um, Go watch Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah, go. Because we're going to be talking about that very soon. So go get yourself refreshed on the topic. Because it's coming up on the show. It's coming up. Excited about that. I'm so excited. I'm like, my arms are flailing around in the studio. All right. Uh, links. That's on our website, RSS stuff, contact form, all that's coder.show. There's a whole series of podcasts over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You're always welcome to go check that out. Shout out to our members at coderqa.co again. We really appreciate you. And you can join us for our last live stream of the year. That'll be next Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. And it's in your time zone at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. All right. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you right back here next week.